Okay, today I'm on a Zoom call with uh, Craig Day. Uh, Craig, our toaster meetings didn't quite work out as planned, but thanks very much for uh, managing to spare some time for me in the end. Um, I've got you down as a professional punter, an owner of top class, top class greyhounds, and a semi-professional pool player. Have I got the right information there? I just said jack of all trades, master of none, to be honest. <laughs> so which part of those three would you... Um, would you identify yourself as mainly? Um, to be honest, now probably a pool player. To be honest, um, I've I've started trying to take it a bit more serious. Um, I was punting probably for I mean, on the dogs at Sunderland for maybe about eighteen months before that Doncaster, before that Bellevue. Um, but it's just hard to find the time for you know punting pool. And owning dogs as well, you know, because they still take up quite a bit of your time, you know, flinging messages back and forth. But yeah, the minute I'm I'm banging into my pool, I don't know why. I had about four years out of it and I've just, I don't know, rediscovered the love for it, to be honest, and trying to get back my pro status and, you know, playing some money matches and, yeah, having having some fun with it, really. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about your pool playing in a bit. I just want to talk a little bit about you and your background in betting and stuff. Um, I, I, all this stuff I've been told by people or little bits by you so I hope it's all accurate um, you started working life on the other side of the fence with William Mills a cashier is that right? Yeah I started uh, when I was like four, 19, 18, 19 uh, for William Mill uh, just basically as a cashier didn't know anything about punting didn't know much about betting really other than watching the odd bit of Royal Ascot and Cheltenham on the TV um, when I was younger but I just got a sort of natural sort of interest in it, to be honest. And, you know, everything sort of grew from there. Um, took a job after that with uh, Sporting Index, which was sort of like started off as a trading role, um, but doing like automated football that basically a trained monkey can do. You know, but all you're doing is just copying the prices across. Um, yeah, and then from there, went into trading snooker, darts, keeping actual ratings, you know, and then obviously the punting side grew with it as well. And Were then, you, um, so when you started work with William Hill, is it just because it was a job and then your interest grew from the job? Yeah, I always liked horse racing. So I was, I was just thinking, sitting there taking bets, you know, and watching racing all day and getting paid for it was, uh, was a pretty cool way to, to earn, you know, a little bit of a living before having to branch out into the real world. And yeah, I spent like two and a half years there and I, I did enjoy it, you know, you know, the crack with the customers and stuff like that. It, it is good. But, you know, as, as you sort of progress a little bit more, you, you want to do other things within the industry. Like, yeah. So, so your last job in the industry was at Betfred as a greyhound trader. Yeah. Um, I was um, doing the greyhounds uh, for, for Fred's and uh, like, it, it's one of them sort of roles that, I enjoyed it um, up until a certain point, and then the industry's kind of gone a little bit unopinion based. You know, it's um, you know because the, the side of it that appealed to me was the actual compiling, sitting there crunching numbers. You know, trying to form a book and you know trying to get your opinion right. Whereas now everything's become like a bit of a mundane. You know, straight down the middle. You know, we all want to be the same price and. You know, that side of it's really, it's, it's gone from the game, to be honest, from what I've think, seen. Do you think it's possible, like somebody like you that's made money back in dogs, is it, would it be possible to, for somebody to form their own opinion 
and put those prices out there and stand by them regardless of what the what the the crowd were doing? No, I think you've got to you've you've definitely got to move on certain people. Like I mean, it's impossible to price thirty six dogs and have them all correct. Or there's some people out there that do believe they're correct on all thirty six for a competition, but. You know, I know you get decent margins. You can probably bet to about 145, 150, but, you know, there's always going to be people better. And you've just got to realise who them people are and, you know, they not lay them to the hills and, and you can form, you know, solid opinions and have, and, you know, and lay chunky bets as well, you know. Like, there's no reason you couldn't lay an owner a, a bet to win a real good chunk. But the problem is with it is that... <sighs> any sort of standout now in the market. So, like, well, one example, we had uh, Brookside Richie for the Steel City Cup. I think I'd gone five to two about it. And literally we'd, I think, what did we lay, 5,000 to two or something like that. And there was groans in the office, like, after the <laughs> after the first round, like, and you're just thinking, you know, the next best price was nine to four, and, and you just think it's just unbelievable, like, but the days, I think, of trying to get dogs beat and, you know, taking strong opinions and going above the market, I think I think they're a little bit dumb, bar maybe a couple of firms. And, you know, they're probably not major high street firms as such at the minute. Yeah, they're just a little bit more on the dogs. We know there's a, quite a few shrewdies out there all struggling to get on. Do they tend to all fall on the same dog? They're all watching the same videos. Is, is, that, you yeah. know, is that what happens? You get two or three guys all wanting to be on the same one. Yeah, you do. I mean, it's not everyone's the same. I mean, like I bet a lot of, um, so, I mean, I bet Sunderland, which is predominantly like a, a speed track. So I would be looking for like the slower way plodding type of dogs that will just get a run and sort of place two, place three, rather than try and, you know, maybe betting them small win, you know, like, so a lot of like very slow railers that, you know, because at Sunderland, a lot of the dogs, they just push off and when they don't lead, you know, a lot of the dogs there just have to lead and, so I'm looking for things to come from a little bit off the pace, but might be able to turn one day for, say, third or fourth and pick up a few dogs and, you know, sort of playing in place markets. But you see a lot of people, they do just want to be with the best drawn dog and, you know, the best dog in the race. And you do find that a lot more of the punters do want to be on the same things like we always, you know, if we'd sort of got one wrong, you know, everyone would sort of gravitate towards <laughs> towards that one dog. And did you go dog racing is that your game do you actually want to be at Sunderland yeah I used to um, I, I don't live too far from the track but um, I was going probably twice a week for quite a while but to be honest I've stopped going because there's just not the people in the track there's no there's no crack and you know the Friday nights are still good I still make it there on a Friday night every now and then but um, they used to have um, a couple of night meetings a week which were good you know there was there was wasn't massive crowds but there was enough people into go and have a social aspect to it but now it's just if I was punting now at home I'd just be on the machine and just sort of sat there and re-watching the race straight after and seeing if there's anything I can pick up you know straight away now, Is it right you um you originally wanted to, you're originally into horse racing so you wanted to share in a horse Yeah um, <laughs> um, I was in the pub one day with the old man and um, I was sort of I, I couldn't have thought of anything worse than getting a dog um, he turned around to me and said, "Like, why don't we get a dog? Because we could only afford probably a five percent share in a in a horse." Um, yeah, so he's turned around and said, "Why don't we just get our own dog and just pay like you know a grand or something between us and and have it for ourselves?" And in the end, I let him talk me into it. We scoured the internet for a 
probably 10 minutes, decided that we were going to buy a bitch from Scotland called yeah. Luberil. And then, yeah, after that, everything's uh, history. I had 12 by the end of the year. Well, I was going to say, you went from owning one share with your dad to owning 10 that raced at Bellevue at one point there. Um, yeah, so, Andy, just... Andy, you know, tell us a bit about that meteoric rise. Yeah, to be honest, I... Uh... <laughs> Um, when we got the first one, um, she actually broke in season pretty much straight away. So then we were like, well, we're not going to get a run for, you know, when she's fully right, probably for eight or nine weeks. So I've gone, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get another one. Um, and I bought a dog called Strawberry Hall off uh, Paul Young, I think it was. Um, again, he wasn't costing the earth. I think he was about £600, but he'd been like A2, A1 at, um, at Romford. So we got him up and then he started to run well. And then the next thing you know, you go, Oh, I've seen this, and this was like A two A three Coventry. We'll buy this, and then yeah, by the by the time you know it, you've got a uh, you've got like ten, twelve dogs sat there, and uh, yeah, you've got half of the card. But how, how many how many times would a dog have to win to pay for itself? You know, to pay for its training for expenses. Yeah, I mean, at the time, Bellevue was relatively poor money, so it was like I think it was thirty two pound for a run. Um, the win money. Oh, some of them were like 75 quid and the fees you, normally about 150 per month at the time so you'd probably need three runs and then you know you won't win so you cover yourself if they were on the card and they were getting the a win every now and then you know you probably lose on average 30 quid a month or something like that but nothing you know nothing crazy it's just when they're injured that was the part that used to you know if you had five or six off the card all of a sudden you know, you're 900 quid deep and then you've got your £30 a month you're losing on the others as well. Yeah, but you weren't losing much, were you? Because I'm told you were the top punter at Bellevue in no time. To be honest, um, I was I was very, very clueless when I started getting into it. Um, and I was lucky to... I was I wouldn't say I was ever top punter at Bellevue, to be honest. Um, it's probably more when I went across to Doncaster that I, I got better at the game. But when I was at Bellevue, I'd started to sort of be a winning punter. Um, there was a couple of lads there, like Mickey Howarth, um, a few of them know him from, Be- uh, from Bellevue, Bellevue Dog um, off Twitter, you know, who sort of, for no real, really, for just more luck than anything, like they'd sort of put their arm around me and said like, this is what you want to be looking for, this is what you want to be doing. I mean, Bellevue Dog literally wouldn't speak to me until I had at least half an idea and even then he used to roll his eyes at me like... <laughs> But just being around good people, you sort of learn off them and, you know, you see what they're doing and then you, you get your own little twist on things as well where you see things that, you know, you're you're trying to be a little bit different from them as well. Yeah, so people a little bit like me, I mean, I'm not a real, I'm not really into the greyhound so much, but you get the impression that when a dog's ready, the trainer knows when it's going to win. Like everybody thinks they do with the horses. So, I mean, how, how useful were the trainers with you, with, with your punting? Um. Being honest, the first people I had dogs with, which was the Fieldings, uh, they retired now, so I can't say. It. I mean, they were probably the worst judges of a dog. They told me for about six weeks on the trot that uh, Lou Burrell was going to win, and obviously at the time I had no idea. So I'm just like, "Yep, great, I'll have me two hundred quid on or whatever." And uh, and she kept getting beaten, and then then I had some dogs in with Brian Thompson, who was pretty good. You know, he he put one in a position to win for you every now and then. Um, but yeah, Joy Andrews was probably one of the better ones I had dogs with on Bellevue. She, um, yeah, she she sort of put you right, you know, with your dogs and stuff. But then by that time as well, I'd started to 
watch enough and learn enough about the game where you, all you need, really needed from the trainer was, you know, this dog's well, this dog's right in itself. After that, you, you don't need much because, you know, end of the day, the, the trainer's not paid to read the race. You know, the trainer's paid just to get the dog well for you, you know, and really you've got to read your own races and read your own draws and stuff like that, you know. Hi, Craig. You you mentioned that you know these guys, the, the successful punters on the track, were um, sort of took you under their wing a bit, which was you know sort of a good start for you. You mentioned Mick Howarth. You said he was a decent punter, took you under his wing. What sort of? You go in a bit more detail about what he taught you. Yeah, so like Mick had sort of, he didn't have many bets to be honest. He was one. Um, I mean, he's very different to my style now, but he would sort of go to the meeting, maybe have one or two bets and everything would have to be right. You know, I'd sort of learned that the price has to be right. You know, he, he wouldn't be a, he wouldn't be a massive draw man, but he was looking for dogs that had been unlucky, you know, stuff that he'd seen. And and to be honest, the videos then weren't available. So, you know, like, like they are now, like we can get the videos, you can rewatch everything. He was sort of just stood there at the TV straight afterwards. He's taking his notes on the thing and just looking for, for you know things that he could pick up on and, and get an edge punting and and like I always you know he'd put his arm kind of a bit round me and I had dogs in the kennel and he'd be going oh have you seen this here have you seen what this is done and and you'd sort of pick up and learn and and then after that I I'd be always like oh I'm straight to the bar after a race but then as I started to get a bit more serious about it I'd sort of stand there with him you know try and watch things try and see things that he he'd seen or not seen and and just yeah, try and have your eyes on the racing, really, because, like I say, on the Friday and Saturday nights, you, you couldn't get the videos, really. There was was the advert. I assume you get you get all the videos now. So when the videos started coming in, did that erode away the edge of people like Mick because everybody could really look at them over and over again and take it all in? Yeah, I think it... Um, when the video sort of came, it, there was a few lads that were getting them because you could buy them directly from the track, which I didn't know about at the time. But I think it was costing them an absolute fortune. Um, but yeah, it, it did kind of take away a little bit of their edge, but they still found a way to win. You know, I mean, as they got the videos, they've, they're obviously watching a lot more. Um, so it becomes easier for them as well. But they, they were still winning punters. Um, and I think Mick still wins now, betting Sheffield. Um, but I think he used to go there and they'd be betting dogs at seven to two and three to one that they probably ended up betting in the end at seven to four and six to four. But um, I think that's more as the case as well. The bookmakers had the videos as well and they could do their own bit of studying, you know, at Bellevue. Um, a lad called Nipper used to do Keith Swain's card and, you know, as he got the videos as well, he, he was sort of, his, his prices were better as well. You, you mentioned that um, mixed betting is totally different from your style now. So what is your style now? Um, I've always sort of just priced up every race because um, I, I do believe that every dog has a has a has a price. Um, there's some people out there that that don't, you know, they'll just put a dog down as a million or whatever. But I'm, I'm one of them, especially with graded races as well. Like you see things that dogs do come back to a bit of form after being in the doldrums a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I tend to have quite a few bets on the card. Um, I'd be playing sort of bigger prices, you know, for smaller stakes. 
and trying to trying to read a race where you first because like I can't get on the the early prices or anything at the minute. So if I was going to do a card, I'd be looking for stuff like that's gone under the radar, but might be third, you know, third or fourth in the race. But everyone will want to be on the jolly or the second jolly. That it looks a good thing, but there's ways that you can get it beaten. There's a there's a race that can pan out where you might be betting something at say 16 and 14 on the exchanges that probably should be a nine or two, four to one, five to one poke. Now there's a there's a sort of argue, argument on the um in the horse racing about if you make a, a horse seven to two and it goes out to eight to one. Some people think that's a red flag and you get out. Other people think that's press ever press up. So which is your which in the dogs is it? Um, I would say it depends on on the training. You you do get a feel for, especially punting graded just at one track. You you do get a real good sense of what the trainer's styles of um, sort of letting one go. Or there was a race a while back with a trainer, and I just remember I I really fancied the six in the race. It was guaranteed to turn second. They were a bit of a strong running type. And his own dog in the three has run away from the six, and and but you kind of, the machine had told you because that's how they play, that's how they bet their dogs. Is everything's on the machine? You've got others that. I think the biggest thing is I, I would just say if you're starting out, like you just believe everything straight and and get your feel for what people are doing, you know, because you will learn the trainers eventually. But if you know if you believed everything was was crooked and every drifter was never going to win, you know, there could be multiple reasons behind it, you know, so I just say everything's straight until, until it's proven otherwise. Yeah. So, so what, um, so were you betting with the track bookies at all? Uh, very rare. Cause they'd just be sort of, I did have a, a little bit of a spell. Um, having the odd bet, you know, like sort of on a Tuesday bags or something when there'd be no liquidity on bet fair and that, but yeah, the, like Bellevue, you, you had to bet with the track bookies. Um, Apart from a Wednesday and Sunday, the Friday, Saturday nights, you know, there was no off-course market uh, for a long time. There was no Betfair market on the Friday and Saturdays. It was just one of the uh, provincial cards. And, yeah, to be honest, I, I always preferred them because you go there, you might not have a bet, but you might go there and you might have three dogs that are, that should be, you know, sort of even money and, you, and you're getting nine or two, four to one, seven or two. And, uh, yeah, it was... Um, I don't know, there's just always a bit more atmosphere with them. But, you know, now the trap bookmakers, the, all they're doing is just staying on the bet fur and, and wait until there's some uh, liquidity, really. Right, OK. So, so it's quite organic at one point, you versus them. Yeah. Um. So is that why you abandoned... The, you, you were winning at Bellevue, but then made a switch to Doncaster. I mean, why was that? Um. To be honest, Bellevue was getting to a point where the trainer strength was very thin, the racing wasn't the best. And I, I was speaking to Howard one day and I'd, I'd had a bit of a falling out with the racing manager at um, at Bellevue. So all my dogs, they actually switched to Doncaster. I put them in with June McComb. Um, and so I'd, I'd sort of fallen out with the racing manager there and I just decided, look, if my dogs are going to be on Doncaster, then, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to switch, switch punting styles to them. I mean, it took a couple of months to really adapt to it and again learn all the trainers, learn all the dogs. And they had a different distance as well, which was like a four fifty and a four eight three. So just learning what dogs do when they switch from one to another, you know, and it did take a bit of time, but you know, in principle it's the same, it's the same thing. And then obviously Bellevue and closed anyway, just as I'd started to pick it up as a second track. 
Yeah, I was going to ask uh, that because you had a you. So you had to start from scratch. You didn't have an overlap. You it was quite a sudden move, was it, when you had a bust up? Yeah, I'd, I kind of spit my dummy out. I'm like, I'm not betting Bellevue anymore. That's me. <laughs> um, quite stubborn, really. And then I should have just carried on punting there and picking up a little bit of Doncaster in the spare time. But no, I just literally started from scratch. Just spent a month, maybe five weeks, just watching, racing, making notes, seeing where dogs want to be, um, trying to get a profile on, on each of the dogs and trying to get some sort of information on the trainers. And even at five weeks, I was like, I was winning, but I was only winning with the obvious stuff. You know, it probably took three months before I was fully into it. And, you know, you could turn around and say, what's Megs Berry? And I could go, oh, yeah, it's a plodder railer. should be about A5. And, you know, it needs this type of race to win rather than after probably six weeks. I was like, uh, let me have a look at my notes and, and double check. Were you working with anybody? Was there anybody there that could sort of lead you in the right direction for how that track, how the other uh, track bet there? Um, you know, raced? when I started out, no, because I didn't really know anyone who punted the place. Um, and then as I've sort of carried on punting it, I got friendly with uh, David Johnson, and then like I say, Bellevue um, actually closed. So when Bellevue closed, um, Bellevue Doggy started doing Doncaster. So it just helped when there was like three of us because you can bounce things off each other. People have different opinions. I'm terrible at listening to other people's opinions because um, I just dismiss them straight away, uh, which is not always the best thing. But it does it does make you go back and just double check things and go, I've actually got this right. And yeah, there was like three of us that were just sort of bouncing things off each other. And, and we're all had very different styles as well. I think that really helped, you know, because you learn little bits off, off other people, especially when they're right. Yeah, so if you if you all agreed, it was like the, the triple maximum. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was very rare that we'd all agree, but uh, either that or, you know, David would be like, this is too short. Because <laughs> he was always, if he has one odds on that, like, you may as well go and collect uh, <laughs> go and collect straight away. It takes right, something that's... biblical. So when you were doing that for a living, so how many bets on average would you have on a card? I mean, would you have a card where you never have a bet? Um, I think they'd be rare. I think there's always something that you can bet, even if there's, like I say, the smallest sort of type of plays. But I would say on average, five to six bets on a card. You know, not, I won't class them as proper bets, but some of them would just be like, this has gone to a price too big because you just sat there watching the market and you'd have a, you know, maybe like a, a 50 or a 60, you know, sort of to win a monkey or something. But yeah, like proper bets on a card, I think when you do them, and you sort of focused around maybe two or three dogs, but then obviously everything depends on the price and you've got to be able to get the price that, that you need to get. But And that was the hardest part. As more people started watching Doncaster and click, picking up on a lot of the trainer habits, you know, you, the, the sort of early prices were telling the market where it needs to be. And then I'm looking to get them dogs kind of beat, to be honest. When you say proper bet, what would a proper bet have been for you? Uh, probably two or three hundred quid. That would have been a, a first, you know, a fair enough size stake. Um, if I well, like a rare, real nap that I really fancied, I'd probably be having five hundred or so, four or five hundred quid. And would you need somebody to stick on for you these days to do that sort of? Yeah, it's like I mean, it's hard work now, like because like the early prices just they're just so hard to get. Um, probably the only way is wait until very late, and that this is the problem with betting Sunderland because it's like um, an arc track. There's no real uh, places that lay early prices in the shops. So everything's online. And obviously online, it's so much harder. You know, you, you sort of, 
I could probably go the route of trying to have 10 accounts open at the same time and try and, you know, try and get 20 quid on each account. But that grinding and stuff like that just doesn't really interest me anymore. I don't know why. At one point, I used to, I used to love it, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd be like eager as anything and try and have like six, seven accounts open on the, uh, on the laptop. But no, I just, I haven't got the, I haven't got the patience to, to be messing about and then to collect it in and send it back out again. Um, just, just a few more questions on the grounds. Uh, you did say to me before the interview that graded is nigh on impossible now. Why is that? Yeah, you just, it's just getting on at the early prices, not, not anything else. It's like, I mean, obviously still win on Betfair, but it's just, all the firms and like we were the same when we were at Fred's. If someone came in and asked for a five hundred to a dog, you'd probably clip them to a two and a half hundred to one, and and then you'd be cutting the price quite drastically. And obviously, Paddy's are linked uh, with Betfair and Skybet. Uh, Betfred are on a robot that just scrapes the prices of everywhere on odds checker, and then you know. So if one firm changes, you only need one firm to cut on a on an account that you didn't think was marked and all of a sudden the price is gone completely and, and you snookered, really. So to make a living from the game, you need to have a lot more than that on, wouldn't you? So they've made it impossible by the stakes being too small. Yeah, everything's like, sort of, you can get your 20s and 30s, probably okay. Um, but yeah, the, the best way now is just to forget the early prices I've found and just literally just go into it with a mindset of like, you know, there's no, there's been no prices there all day, so no getting frustrated when you've seen a dog at nine to four that's now even money. You know, if you still think the five to four on Betfair is value, go and bet it. You know, there's no point torturing yourself going, oh, this has been this price, this has been that price. Just the only question you need is, is it value? If it's, if it is, bet it. If it's not, shut up, whinging and don't bet it or lay it. So, so is there still enough juice at the business end of the market to make it yeah. pay? Yeah, I think there's there's not as much as there was because I mean, like I say, everyone's watching videos and stuff like that. But there's there's definitely still juice in graded greyhounds. But sometimes you've just got to adapt and be, you know, a lot of people want to be on the speed dog, they want to be on the well drawn dog. But if they go to an unbettable price or they go to a price that you know you should be laying, you, you've kind of even though you might think, well, I think this is the most obvious winning, you've kind of got to be against it or you've got to find another way where you can see the race unfolding, you know, where you can find a little bit of value. And, and that's where I think the art is now. I don't think it's actually in doing the videos and stating the obvious. It's getting you at your actual tissue prices, you know, to 100 and then 120% and finding out where you want to be laying at and where you want to actually be betting at and, and getting them right and getting your third and your fourth in correct. Because I don't think getting the top one in correct is probably as important now as it was. And it's, are you a layer as well? Yeah, I do. I do lay, um, especially when they go too short. Um, it's, I mean, a lot of people don't like it, but I, I always do. And I like to lay in the place as well, because uh, you can obviously lay a lot cheaper. Um, so I, I just think dogs that are sort of early early pace and they've been over bet, you know, rather than laying them at sort of 1.9, 1 point, them sort of figures, I, I'd sooner be laying them in the place market going, well, if, if there's a draw that's half hazardous, or they miss, or anything like that, you can lay them very, very cheap in the place market. You know, if you can get a reason from not to front off. Hey, Craig, I meant to start this part just talking about the pool playing, but just just something there that um, sort of come to my mind. 
is would you be able to sort of would every dog track that races now have punters that concentrate on it or would the would you be able to find somewhere that there's probably only one or two or nobody so you'd have it all to yourself you know serious good punters um i think there's some tracks like that are just unviable but they still will have people that are following it so you could probably have like peel grange yourself but the racing's not for enough money and you know it's sort of like one card a week so you won't it won't be a viable option um but i'm pretty sure every track will have people that really follow everywhere they go i mean i always thought like at one point doncaster i was i felt like i was the only person watching and then you you get to know certain things and and all of a sudden there's five six and then by the time you finish punting there you're like oh yeah there's like 16 70 people watching it you know um, but you just get to know, and a lot of people just stay under the radar, you know, they, they won't tell you where they're betting or what they're doing, you know. I know a lad at the minute who's betting Kinsley, and Kinsley would be another place I'd have always said, no one bets at Kinsley, no one bothers with it, but, you know, clearly there are people out there that, that are betting sort of everywhere, and I think no matter where you go, you'll stumble across somebody, but I think the key is to be in somewhere where, you know, there's not as many people watching, because the more people watching, the harder it is, really. Okay, right. So everybody, I think, has played pool. The pub pool teams or whatever, you know, back, at least when I was young anyway, every pub had a pool team. Um, but not everybody can play it professionally or semi-professionally. So tell us a bit about your pool playing. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one, really, because <clears throat> there's not really any money in it. Um, so a lot of the money side of it actually comes from gambling. Um, like Even if you was a top five professional, you'd probably make maybe 25k on the year or something if, if you're very very fortunate um you know the winner of the world championships gets like 15 grand or something like that so there's there's not loads of money in it but like i always sort of started off like anyone playing in the pub as a kid just for me old man to just go here's 50p get out of my way for a, an hour or so and then it was a case of you'd get probably one pound 50 and it was like don't come back you know for an hour so you had to learn to win and, you know, it was like winner stays on and stuff like that down the pub. So, um, and yeah, just gradually just started playing and improved and then, you know, went for like youth county trials and looking back, you just think I was terrible, you know, really. But at the time you you were buzzing for stuff like the youths and that. And then, yeah, played for like Lancashire youths. We won a few things with Lancashire youth team. But we, had, we was lucky because there was like five or six of us that were all like in the England team. Um, like a year after so there's a lot of good players in the team and a lot of good players in the area so I got lucky that I managed to get the practice and you know improve off other people you know similar to the punting really you just you learn off other people and and the main thing you learn off is actually by going out there and, and playing and then yeah got into the England team and, and everything escalated from there really yeah I went to a uh, I think it's somebody's birthday drinks or so in a club private club and in the corner was a pool table and there was guys there playing for what looked to me like astronomical amounts of money. And they were being videoed to trans, you know, put out on, they looked like they'd been put out on WhatsApp or whatever. Loads of places. So is that the sort of way you make money? You know, challenge matches and people coming from other areas to play each other and betting going on like that? Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, don't get me wrong, the money matches, are, <clears throat> you, can, you can do as much as little as you can, but it's like, because I've been out of the game uh, for quite a while, I'd sort of um, 
I come back in a little bit under the radar, so I managed to I managed to get games that are that are decent for me, and they're not you know they're not for huge sums of money, but they're like I mean the the first game I played back was for two thousand five hundred each, my two and a half grand against his. Um, but what you always do, you always let your mates have a little bit of a bet, you know, and stuff like that. So I'd had a I'd had a thousand pound myself, and we played at the club, managed to win that, and then you're just trying to get games that you, you know, you're never going to get games that you you're a certainty in, but you're getting games that are just good games for you. You know, you're a four to seven twos on poke, and that's what I always try and aim around. And you've got to be honest with yourself as well, because there's so many out there that are, you know, disillusioned. Really, you just you've just got no idea, like. And they think they're favourite in games when they're not. And it's I think the punt inside of that actually helps. And, you know, you've got to be really realistic about your about your level because if you're not, you know, you're going to burn burn a hole in your pocket, really. Is there an unofficial sort of um, form book going around? You obviously, you guys get to know each other. I mean, if you came down to Devon and played the guys that I was watching at the at the club, would you have any, is there any way of any idea about them? Would they be known if they're that sort of level? Yeah, you, you just get to know. I mean, there's there's a few like I mean, I mean even down that way, Darren McVicker, Jez Graham, Jamie Graham. Um, so that's just like from that sort of way that I'd I'd know of them, because you as you know, there's like the Ultimate Tour at the minute, and there's the IPA Tour. So like they're the two professional bodies, and just in years of being on the circuit, really, you get to know lads that go there and go to other tournaments, and and then they talk. You know, everyone talks a little bit because it's quite a close community so like we have lads that just basically don't go to the tours but you'd still turn around they come up in conversation so you end up hearing of them you know even if you don't actually know their standards you'll, you'll go like oh well they rate them so and and you know there's other things as well like you can look on websites and local you know local sort of websites and just see what the local stats are against the better players and stuff and you get a feel for it it won't be it won't be hard to do a little bit of research okay so if you're you're a if you're fully professional, you say you can only earn about 25 grand a year. What would that come from? Like sponsorship and is that the sort of level of the prize money? So would, would betting be a big part of even the professional game amongst the players and stuff? Yeah, because like, I mean, recently Sean Story, who was, I think he was a former nine ball player, has just played Ian Alley. Um, I think there's a clip somewhere of the ending that people should check out. Uh, they, they were playing for 180,000, I think 90,000 apiece. Well, they put um, that up themselves. Yeah, well, backers. I think Sean's on a yeah all backers, but they're on a free roll to win like twenty percent of it, really. So, you know, the, even if they don't have a penny on themselves, normally players take twenty percent of the of the winnings. So they're on a free go to win like eighteen grand. But you know, they've got to go out and they've got to practice for six, eight, ten, twelve weeks or whatever, and you know, put the hard yards in. And it was it was twenty nine all to be honest. And uh, someone's uh, Sean's on a black, and someone's lobbed a bottle of uh, Peroni on the. Uh, on the table, <laughs> not just stop oil, was it? <laughs> it may as well have been, to be honest. <laughs> um, now we're gonna get go, just talking about winning money and stuff. You've landed some famous touches over the years. Now, once again, I've been told this by mates of yours. Um, a thousand pound on born worry at 25 to one for the Irish Derby. Is that right? Yeah, I had um, I, we went that to be fair. There's a few of us like we all went down to the Irish Derby last year. Um, yeah, um, basically just showing him, he's shown pace there with Explosive Boy and, you know, he sort of burned him off down the back and he swung a bit wide coming home. And I didn't realise that that's what he'd do every night. But um, if I'd have known that, I probably wouldn't have been quite as heavily as invested. But yeah, I just got it in my head that, look, he's going to win the derby and 
and yeah, struck the bet and it was uh, it was five hundred at twenty five and five hundred at twenty, so it was like twenty two and a half to one. But uh, but yeah, that that came off quite quite fortunate, really. And Magico at sixty six to one for the English derby. Yeah, I had uh, three hundred quid on him. He run at a trial stakes at um, Toaster, um, and again he just he run well. And I was looking at the market, sort of seeing where he was, and I thought he probably should be about twenty eight to twenty fives. And yeah, struck a bet. I'd played a few that that English derby. To be honest, I probably put about fourteen hundred quid into the market, but. You know, he he got a dream run in the final, and somehow he, he managed to uh, yeah he managed to win that. Like, I don't quite know how, but uh, we got away. We won. Now, I've been told you've owned some really good dogs over the years. Can you tell us a couple of the highlights? Yeah, probably the biggest one was um, Duala Prince. He um, he won a heat of the Derby uh, two thousand. Uh, oh God, now you're asking two thousand and. 21, 20, no, 2020, I think. Um, but yeah, he won like a heat of the derby. Um, he didn't cost the earth either, he only cost two and a half thousand quid. Um, June McComb trained him for me. Um, she did some job with him, like, and yeah, not won any real competitions or anything like that. But like, he, he won on a few big nights for us, like, he won on the Gold Cup final night. And yeah, like I say, he didn't cost the earth. I mean, the last sort of 12, 18 months, I've probably spend a bit too much on dogs. Um but yeah I've had some had some nice dogs um that have just won at like open level really nothing nothing beyond that. But I always try and buy a, a nice dog and try and buy something for competitions. But it's uh yeah it's hard work landing one to be honest. Well I'm told that you you sort of concentrate on top class dogs if you can. Uh is that I mean how do you pick them? Is it the breeding try you know what how would you decide on what to invest quite a lot of money in? Um, just trying to find something that's like, I mean, bar, bar probably the ball Freddie I've got at the minute. Um, he was on a, an auction site and I actually thought he'd go for 20,000 ish. Um, and I was coming back from Ireland actually, and I just decided that, look, if he can, if I can get him for 15,000, I'd, I'd be happy. He had some monster runs on his form. He'd gone off the, he'd gone off the boil a little bit, you know, when, when he was up for sale. But I'm thinking, you know, if you've got a trainer there that you believe that can get them back then you know that's that's the bit of value in in buying the dog and stuff um uh, we didn't manage to quite get him back to to what he was in at the beginning of his career but you know he's still he's still there now he's he's in with Paul Hennessy at the minute but yeah a lot of them is just just trying to see where what you think you can get a little bit of value out of like I wouldn't be one for overpaying for dogs um but sporting Yankee he did twenty eight sixty two round there I think he was five grand he looked like being a nice dog but just had a few injuries and stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of it is just trying to see what they've done, trying to find like hidden speed a little bit as well, like dogs with loads of early, maybe that they're missing the track for maybe just running over a little bit too far and just trying to find something that'll suit a certain track where you can, you can have your, you know, you can pick it up for say five or six grand and yeah, have them, have them be a competition dog, maybe over 450 or, you know, maybe a slightly lesser distance. Now, is there, I mean, is there a future in investing that sort of money in greyhounds to run in the UK? You think there no. is a future in it? <laughs> no, There's no, more of a passion. Not. Yeah, it's just something that I enjoy. I like having dogs. I like, I like going to what. Being honest, like that's part of it is getting me out of the house and actually going to the track and you know having a, it's a social thing as well. Just having a few beers and getting out and yeah, and going on the road. But 
to be honest, I've just put them all in Ireland because the game over here is dreadful, really. You know, it's, it's there's more competitions than there were, but it's still just, it feels like, especially from where I'm based in the northeast, like just everything, every, every greyhound, proper greyhound track, like there's Doncaster run 483, which is a great distance, but they don't have any opens. And then after that, you know, for a proper stiff galloping track, you're looking at Central Park and Hove, and, you know, it's quicker to get to Bloody Island, like, you know. So just coming up finally now, how do you, which direction do you see your career, various careers going in the future? You're going to be concentrating on pool hunting. What, what, what? Which way are you headed? Um, I don't know to be honest. It's it's a difficult one to answer because at the minute I have just like I say I've got right back into the pool. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm not sure why that's come about because like I said, I did have four years where my queue I think was just in my mate's house, and you know I didn't even know where it was at one point. But uh, I've just got back into it. I'm enjoying it so. At the minute, I'm I'm playing. I've got a game next sun, a week on Sunday, uh, which is the 16th. I'm playing a guy who's a pro for I think probably ten thousand pound ish, and then the week after I'll have another game. So at the minute, I'm probably playing a lot more pool. But I, I'll always sort of for the big events like the Irish Derby, English Derby. I'll always do a, put a little t- bit of time aside for sort of the big events because that's when you can actually get a bet on. And, and you know, if you're not doing them cards and you're not doing them competitions, I'm really you're daft. What's your just quickly? What's your do you play better or worse? I assume you play better when there's a load of money riding on it for the pool. You have yeah, no nerves. I, no, I think you get over it because if once you separate yourself from the money and it's not about money and it's not about anything, it's just about winning a match. You know, you've got to treat it as you know, I'll I'll, I'll look at it and I'll go, right, I'm playing him in a match and race to 25. If I win, everything that's good from it comes from winning the match rather than thinking, you know, there's lads out there that will be like, oh, this is for X, Y and Z amount. And before you know it, you've started badly. And by the time you've actually settled in, you, you sort of knackered. You've got to have the, you've got to have good mental strength to, to play for, for quite decent sums. But I like it because it's, it's me in charge of my own destiny rather than, you know, a dog running around the track. It's, you, you sort of stood there. I'm nervous if I ever bet on a dog, whereas if I bet myself, I'm going, well, I've got to pop the balls. I've got to do the play the right shots and do the right things. So it's kind of in my own control and I control it. It's, yeah, it's good. And then finally, Craig, do you think you'll ever get that share in a horse? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Too much of a dogman now. I've, I've fully converted. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that's uh, Craig, Dave. Thank you very much. Nice one. Cheers, Simon. Thank you.